On this episode of EdTech, we'll talk about supply chain issues and innovation. All that and more on this episode. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is EdTech, episode 100, the new semester. Hello, AV friends. This is the EdTech podcast, and I'm going to go around and reintroduce you to the gang. We've got with us Ernie Bailey. Good afternoon. And we've got Rob Raspberry. Hey, everybody. Hey, Aaron. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. This is a new era. I'm excited about it. So welcome. Thank you. And we've got Scott Tyner. Hey, Aaron. It's always nice to be back and it's nice to have you here. Excellent. Yeah, it's kind of like we got the band back together, but with a new lead singer. So I am Aaron Marmoran and um, a little bit about me. I'm from uh, Johns Hopkins University. I am the IT manager for classroom technology, and I do uh, control system programming on top of all of my managerial duties. And um, I've just I've been at this uh, higher ed AV game for quite a while, and it's pretty much all I know at this point. Uh, straight out of straight out of college, um, and so. It seems like I am kind of a, a nice fit here to start running the show. So uh, we've got some interesting topics that we can choose from today. But I think today uh, I want to start off with an article that was written by our very own Scott Tyner uh, that can be found at uh, Rave Pubs. It's the Will Supply Chain and Inventory Problems Change AV? Now, we have all been kind of, uh, you know, it's just been drummed into us about the issues that the industry has been facing with supply chain. But I kind of, I this um, article I liked because it kind of, you know, took a little bit different of a look at it. And so how about we start off with you, Scott, since you wrote it? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I think, like you said, I mean, who hasn't talked about supply chain and inventory over the past two years? It's constant in our in our minds. Um, what I started thinking about recently, though, is what are the longer-term effects of, of these problems that we have? So in, in a number of ways, number one, our, our manufacturers have got to be thinking about um, how do I produce products that are less reliant on components from other countries? Uh, so does that mean uh, soft products, uh, hardware as a service? Um, what does that mean about – one of my real big concerns, what does that mean about two years from now? I, I order product A a year ago. I still don't have it. I might not want product A in another year. I might want product B, um, and I hope the companies are, are developing product B. Uh, and then finally, uh, the other one that really concerns me is about some of the smaller integrators and how are they possibly surviving um, these jobs that uh, their jobs are, are like the manufacturers, right? They're missing one component 
they can't build the system, how are they keeping the flow going? And as a matter of fact, one of the comments on, on, on that article was from an integrator who even said, I, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make it because of this. The, the, the supply chains affected all of us. What's interesting is that I just saw something about like Micron um, uh, creating a plant in, I don't know whether it, it's somewhere in the Northeast U.S., so they're going to start, you know, creating chips or they've got the big incentive to to create stuff, things domestically. So I don't know how that in the long term is going to affect things. But Scott's absolutely right. I mean, the smaller integrators are going to have a challenge, you know, with the supply and demand. And obviously the manufacturers and the larger integrators are going to have the, the priority to to receive, you know, the devices that are on back order. Um, I was just up. um believe it or not, yesterday at uh, the Crestron experience up in New Jersey. And so got a chance to look at their one of their local warehouses to see where they're manufacturing stuff. And even though they have a big, you know, backlog, it's good. They, they seem to understand that something needs to be done where they can produce things more locally to meet the demands of some of their customers. So we'll see whether they're going to be able to do it. But it was very encouraging. And I think there is an, there is an awakening. We need to have a better uh, chain to produce the parts that are needed for our industry uh, to keep this going. And then, you know, there was a point this year where I was saying, well, you know, normally I go with these kind of components. Now I have to start thinking about, well, do I go with something that's lesser known, lesser tested, because we want to get that project done somewhere near on time? Or am I going to wait and try to recycle my old stuff? and get it in and have, you know, a bigger failure point until I can, you know, make it through to when we get, you know, the, the equipment that we need. It, it's, it's an interesting, um, interesting situation. And, you know, some people say, well, in two or three years, we'll be caught up. I don't know if that's the case. I, I really don't know. Right. Yeah. Because as they're researching and developing new things, then they're going to have to completely switch tracks and start manufacturing those new things but then what do they do with the old stuff and I think kind of Crestron has somewhat started that almost in the announcement of paring down the DMPS line to only a couple of their more flagship models um, but it it also makes me wonder, you know, is this really going to be opening the door for some of those smaller companies to really break in and make an impact? Or is it going to be like, they're just the stopgap until the bigger companies catch back up. And once that's readily available, they'll be like, oh, we're back at the old stuff. And all these smaller companies that had their moment are going to fall by the wayside again. What do you think, Ernie? Uh, I definitely agree with you. We're looking at different options, you know, for products that we're unable to get, you know, from Crestron or whoever. Uh, see if anyone has anything that's close to compatible. I've got a couple of very young, eager programmers and designers who are wanting to learn and see what they can do and what they can make of these things. Another issue we're having with, you know, these long lead time items is uh, on my budget side. If something's taking over a year to get here or it crosses a fiscal year for me, I'm actually paying for it twice because it comes out of my budget the first year because when they encumber the money. 
well, the money's not spent that year. It doesn't go back into my budget at the end of the year. It goes back to general funds. But then when it arrives the next year, it's taken out of that year's budget, along with the stuff that I've purchased again. So it's it's cost me twice, whether, you know, no, the uh, integrator or the box house that provided didn't get paid twice, but it, you know, I lost funds I could have used for something else uh, rather quickly. Uh, and when you're looking at, you know, numerous systems that can be significant uh, after a while. Absolutely. I feel like that's kind of something um, that people don't potentially think about if they're not in higher ed, that our budgets are annual and own very few of us are fortunate enough to have sort of a rolling budget where they'll leave that line open, um, you know, from year to year it, for these sorts of things. And that might be also a, a, a thing that we could potentially bring up to the, you know, the finance powers that be to see if there could be an adjustment to, to our budget lines for specifically these reasons, because we order things that, you know, it is beyond our control to be able to, um, you know, get that in and taken out, you know, in that fiscal year. It looked like you had some thoughts there, Scott. I actually, it, it it's interesting to me what Ernie said. I, I had not heard that before, but it, it, it makes sense, especially at a, a public institution with the, with the way they have to manage their finances and be accountable to the public um that that you can't you can't just roll that over into the next year we private institution we're a little bit more flexible um where we can do that and um quite honestly our our po's are um we don't we can give a po as a, as a promise to buy but the funds aren't encumbered in the same way they are in some of the larger institutions and some of maybe some of the larger um public institutions um, but i'm the other one i'm, I'm always amazed wonder about is this piece about substitutes and what you were asking, Aaron, is do you, will you commit to that and keep going forward? Did we learn something about kind of committing to one product, one ecosystem? Um, my pessimistic side says no. My pessimistic side says after two years, we're going to be like, you know, I really liked that other system. And, and we know that those big manufacturers are going to push us right back and, and try to get us right back in. And they're, and they're good at doing that. We've seen some innovation, excuse me, in ours, uh, in that, you know, we were kind of uh, forced to move to uh, virtual processors for our classrooms. You know, we had been kind of dragging our feet, not wanting to do it. Well, when we had rooms half built and no processors for them and none in the foreseeable future, uh, we... Uh, switched over to a virtual processor and we're finding out that it's uh, a much smoother transition than what we were afraid of at first, I believe. Uh, but it, you know, it's uh, one of those things where uh, innovation comes in, you know, because you've got to figure out something to keep your classes going. You know, we, we have to uh, worry about accreditation uh, hearings and stuff like that. Make sure that our rooms are functional and the students are getting the education they need or we're not going to have a school and therefore we won't have a job. That's a really good point. And I was just going to sort of add on to that. So you either go two ways. You either go with that innovation or you scale back. So in a classroom where you might have a control system and microphones and everything else, you may just have to scale back to a large display or 
and just, you know, a simple cable and you just have to tell the instructors, listen, this is what we're dealing with. This is what you can do. The students will see the content. And as long as you project a little bit or whatever, you know, you're going to be okay. So you, it, there's like two ways it can really go. And then like on the economic side, which to think about is, you know, when a manufacturer gets an order for a thousand units versus 10 units, what do you think they're going to go for? And so that sort of hurts the little guy even more. Um, but, uh, you know, so it's, it's interesting, but yeah, innovation is definitely something that's definitely, we've been more looking more into because of this situation. Well, and this goes, this segues very nicely into another article that we had taken a look at and that it was also written by Scott. Uh, where is the innovation in AV? Um, also on rave pubs. Um, so in the article, you know, Scott posed that, you know, have we sort of taken a pause a bit on the innovation, but kind of what we're, you know, even in the little bit that we've been talking, it kind of sounds like maybe there has been some, but not really where we would have normally saw it. What do you think, Scott? Uh, well, that article is was written uh, partially uh, to 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 cause discussion and maybe to cause some disagreement, right? Uh, and I and I've I've had some back and forth with people on it, um, and I really focus on that article about innovation that affects the end user, that affects the customer. And so, yes, I think virtualized processors or, or soft processors is innovative, maybe, but our end users don't know any different when they're using that. And as I was thinking about today, and I was thinking about this article, I was thinking about Ernie, and I think about the stuff they do at a medical school and the simulations that they do and the experiences that they must have. And I was thinking, I wonder if Ernie's going to tell me, boy, you have to come to this medical school in the last five years and see how doctors are learning now. Uh, and then you're going to, um, then you'll know that you were wrong. Um, so I'd love to be told that because I, I love innovation and it's exciting. Well, uh, Scott, I will tell you, we are seeing some innovative ways in teaching. Um, and part of that has to do with us opening up a second medical medical campus. Uh, so we're, we actually have two, two campuses uh, running with the same faculty. Students can be on either campus. Uh, one, there's one set of faculty uh, one, and one support team. Uh, from my group, but there are some neat things that are going on in the way that we're teaching. Uh, and a lot of it is background things like what we were talking about, but there are things that the doctors are seeing new, some virtual tools they're, they're seeing, some new ways to see the body and things like that, uh, sometimes without knives and stuff like that. So, But uh, yeah, I, I, and I'd love for you to come see what we're doing. Well, sounds like we need to make a plan. <laughs> I haven't I haven't done much traveling yeah. the past two years, so <laughs> field trip. <laughs> exactly. So I have like there's two statement two word phrases that I like to use innovation versus implementation. So you can have something that's innovative, but is it applicable? Can you implement it on your campus? Is is it is it uh not gonna say user friendly, but ultimately will it work? Um so you have to sort of look at, at those two things and you know, I think, Scott, you're right. It, it's sort of hard to, to, there's a lot of things that 
you do that are like a create, not a creative, but an alternative mode of, of doing things, but is it really innovative? So like as an example, something that is not really innovative, but it's different for us is we had big Zoom Enterprise. And so we are storing gobs and gobs of Zoom recordings, just ungodly amounts. And, you know, as a higher education institution, you sort of, you do want to watch the bottom line. And the storage was just unbelievable. So in the, when the pandemic started, it's fine. You have to do it. And then you have to think about where can I, you know, cut corners, save, but still do implementations. And we had a Kaltura integration. And uh, so I talked to some higher ed institutions and they have a way of, of connecting the two. But because of the way we do our SSO, it became very difficult. So we had to come up with a custom script to connect it so that a Zoom recording would pass through to Kaltura. Is that innovative? I don't know. Is it did it for us? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, it's worked very well since we have unlimited bandwidth on that side. But these are things you look about. You know, we have to now take a look at, you know, the big AV over IP, you know, uh, push and, and things of this sort. And uh, so it, it, it's quite interesting. Um, and, you know, Ernie, again, I'd like to we all should take a trip down to you because, you know, medical schools have, a, have a, an amazing way of doing things. So maybe we should do a, an ed tech from Ernie's spot. That would be. How about that? I, I would love I, that. I think that uh, Aaron needs to talk to the powers that be here and, and do a do a remote. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Remote ed tech sometime. That would be, that would be fun. Like on location <laughs> there. Yeah. There has to be a balance. Like there can be all these innovative things, but if we put them in a classroom and it's not really useful, then what was, what was the point? Yeah. I think there's some innovation. I mean, I, I talked, talked a little bit about holograms. I'm still a big believer in the potential of holograms. And I think that people overlook it. Cause they're like, Oh, well you need, you know how much those cost? And do you know all the equipment you need? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And that's that's today. I'm talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about in the future. And at Cedia, there was this screen you might have seen that like folds when you press a remote and it kind of goes from a curved screen. To, I'm like, okay, cool. Not really sure what the use of that is. Like I have a curved screen. I leave it's curved all the time and that's cool. But then you think about it in a classroom, could that fold and go into a desk? And when you want, could it just come up in front of a student and unfold? Okay, now that really starts to get kind of innovated. It changes their experience. It changes what we do. Um, so it's kind of, there's a lot of things that are on the cusp, but just aren't there. Yeah, and then I think it comes down to a support model is things that we come up with can be super innovative and neat, but if we don't really have the ability to support it behind the scenes, how successful could it possibly be also? Because um, I find, I know that, you know, uh, resources in, you would think Johns Hopkins, like we must have, you know, we're printing our own money here, uh, but resources are very slim and difficult to get and hold on to. And um, I've recently been trying to get a new FTE um, just to make up for the fact that we're doing so much more streaming and all of these extra things um, that we you know, three years ago, we weren't really offering or had to worry about on such a scale because we were, it was onesie twosies and we could take care of that. But then to actually have to support it on the regular, on a grand scale in multiple rooms, as opposed to just a couple here and there, it, um, that becomes a challenge. So to keep the 
su- ability to support up with all of these new innovations and fun things we want to do is, um, you know, half the battle. It, you know, is there kind of a dream product that that you could, you know, that you might have maybe seen a glimpse of besides sort of the, the hologram thing? Is there anything that's out there that you've seen recently or heard inklings of that you would be like, now that would be cool to have? I could tell you lots of things I've, I've dreamt of that I've never heard of. Uh- <laughs> well, that's perfect. <laughs> I, no, I think when I talked about the curved screen floating in the desk, I mean, we all have dealt with forever this issue of everybody looking at the front of the room and the, the chalkboards are, are blocked and they can't write on them. And so for me, this piece of some type of truly immersive, truly active learning that isn't six monitors on walls and the faculty member put the same thing on all six monitors, it just it doesn't ever happen. Some, some way to really put that that in front of a student have some true interaction um, is something that I, I'd love to see. And of course, uh, as you said, Aaron, it, it has to work, number one. And number two, there has to be resources to support it because unfortunately in, in the home world, everything we get or do, we think, oh, it's, it's easier and easier and to do. But we know in our end, everything we just talked about is actually more difficult to actually implement and we need more people to do it, not fewer people to do it. Like, what do you mean? You can't just, I can't just run out to Best Buy and do this and put it in my classroom and it'll work? Like, mm, not quite. That's not how it works. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, see, again, it's that innovation. Is it truly innovative or is it something that we've been working on for a while? And I think I always keep coming back to what we've been working on for a while. So I, I've seen um, a lot of, I guess, uh, progress with video switching. And, and we all know motion tracking and video switching still wasn't quite where, you know, it should be. And it seems like, you know, there's been these acquisitions. You notice these acquisitions, right? So Poly gets bought by somebody, One Beyond gets bought by somebody. And, and so these larger companies are these are understanding that video is such an integral part of what they do, even though audio really is almost more important. But um, they understand the need that, you know, when you're in a classroom, you need to be able to comfortably switch between your instructor or maybe somebody, a student in the audience, or in a meeting room, be able to switch to whoever's talking and have it decently framed up so you're not moving around like a roller coaster. And they seem to be getting closer and closer. So I would love to see a system that, you know, you just walk in, turn the system on, and it'll just recognize whatever you're doing and do it in a way that's not gonna, you know, make your eyes cross into the back of your skull. So that's, for me, what would be great. We're working on things like that uh, on our campus, uh, you know, through programming, you know, just where a mic touch will automatically switch a camera and all that. Uh, we're getting down to where we're trying to do it now with wireless devices and trying to figure out exactly where a, where the microphone is. Uh, that's that's a little bit trickier. Uh, but I think part of the innovation that we've really seen uh, in the last couple of years is that, you know, we used to have either a virtual classroom where nobody was in the room or we had everybody in a room. Now we've gone to the hybrid situation and... I don't see that going away. Uh, so I think we're seeing a lot of innovation there. 
<clears throat> in that the way that we're developing it and the way that it affects the students and the faculty that we're working with. Uh, so they, they can all feel connected uh, physically as well as virtually. Absolutely. I, I wish that there was a way that like, and maybe there is, maybe we'll come up with it. Someone will come up with it at some point to make the experience of the hybrid experience of having um, far side and near side students at the same time um, equitable so that it it's more of a, the same experience in person as it is remote, but also make it and make that easy on the instructors because I feel like that's so difficult for them to have to be able to cater to both because it is sort of a different style of teaching to give both sides, you know, a, a fair shot at it. Um, but that, you know, I, I don't think we've gotten to that point yet, at least technology wise to make it that much of an equitable experience. One good thing that's come out of this is that it has given me more of a drive to find other technologies than what, you know, it used to be, oh, we'll go to Infocom, we'll do this and do that. But now it's, you're really tuned in to finding that next big thing or that innovative technology. So that was my final thought. Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, being here today with me. And um, Ernie, how can uh, everybody reach you? Uh Everybody can reach me uh, through LinkedIn. It's probably the best way to get, get a hold of me. All right. And Rob, how about yourself? Uh, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, so that's the best way to reach me. Rob Raisberg on LinkedIn. Okay. And Scott, final thoughts, and how can people get in touch with you? A uh, couple of final thoughts, Aaron. Congrats on a fabulous uh, first ed tech. Looking to, for many more to come. Second thought is we're definitely going to get Ernie and Rob onto Twitter here before before we're, we're done too long. I know, I know at least, I think I've heard Ernie, Ernie's on Twitter. It just doesn't, just, just kind of listens more Not than very often. Okay. Uh, uh, and you can uh, certainly find me on, on Twitter at, at S Tyner or on, on LinkedIn. Well, thank you guys so much for making my first episode easy breezy and fantastic. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at smearing underscore off underscore ice. If you didn't know, that was my roller derby name. A whole other story that maybe we'll get to in a future episode. So stay tuned and have a good one. Bye.